Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. So then remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth, remember that you were called the, the uncircumcised by those who were called the circumcised. This was a physical circumcision made in flesh by human hands. Remember that you at that time were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is, he has broken down the, hospi- the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and its ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. And he might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Praise God. Amen. I'm honestly really thankful there are people here this morning. The World Cup final is a 1-1 tie with a 35-minute mark, if anybody's wondering. <laughs> Rob's not preaching. There's a lot of factors. It's a 2-0 set. Djokovic is up if people are watching uh, sports today. Just want to catch everybody up so you can pay attention. I, uh, um, I know that's important. Um, all joking aside, the last couple of days, uh, I've, Annie and I have had this great opportunity uh, in Hot Springs, North Carolina, every summer. There's a festival called the Wild Goose Festival. Now, it sounds kind of weird, and our kids are like, what are we going to go chase birds? Um, the, the term wild goose is actually a Celtic theological term for the Holy Spirit. So in Celtic theology, um, in, the, in how Celtic uh, Christianity came about, uh, the Celts were trying to figure out how to name the Holy Spirit. And in naming the Holy Spirit, they came up with this idea of a wild goose. Now, I can't imagine what a tame goose is like, but I, I can't imagine a little bit what a wild goose is like. And, and in th- thinking about the wild goose, you can imagine that it would be impossible to catch or seemingly impossible to catch a wild goose. And in the tradition of the Celtic church, the Holy Spirit is known as the wild goose because we are trying to get a glimpse of the Spirit of God in the world. We're trying to catch just a little bit of the way God is working in the world. And we had a great opportunity. There were some amazing speakers. I just say this as a small public service announcement. Uh, folks like Diana Butler Bass was, were there, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, uh, Brian McLaren, Shane Claiborne, um, civil rights activist Ruby Sales. It was an incredible lineup. Um, Tom and Ann, Ann's left with children. Uh, Henderson Owens both were on a panel. Annie got to speak. Uh, if you get a chance, look up wildgoosefestival.org. Uh, it's worth taking a look at. 
Let us pray together. God, thank you so much for your word, which challenges us and pushes us and makes us think. Makes us think about how we act in the world, God, how we represent you in the world and how we share your love. May this letter to a church in Ephesus challenge us this morning. It is my prayer that you would speak through me and if necessary, in spite, speak, O God, that we might hear your word for us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Fred Craddock tells a story. Craddock tells a lot of stories, but this particular story comes from his childhood. He grew up and in the summers, he would visit his grandparents on their farm. And he said that most of the summer was spent working on the farm and they were free labor for the summer. But part of his time when they weren't working was spent playing hide and seek. Now, I grew up on a small farm until I was in third grade. And I can tell you, if you're not working for mom and dad or your grandparents, it's really nice to play some kind of game. And Craddock tells a story that they would play hide and seek and they would get tired of playing hide and seek, but they would keep playing it more because that was what they had to do. And if they stopped playing, then they had to go work and on the farm. And he tells the story this way, that he had this hiding place that was incredible. And he says that his sister would always count, and, and I'm sure if you've played hide and seek and you have a sibling, you've played with them, you know that they count this way. It goes 1, 2, 7, 29, 54, 75, 99, 100. I feel like if Craddock's sister was the one telling the story, it was probably him that counted that way, but I don't have any proof of that. I know that if my brother told the story about me, then he would say it and vice versa. But Craddock said that when he would hide, he had this hiding place that was incredible. It was right behind the crook of the steps at the farmhouse. And the house that we grew up in, that I grew up in too, had this in a, in a set of stairs too. And there's this little kind of place that you can kind of get behind. And he said he was just the right size. And even if his sister counted really fast, he had enough time to get up and get down and get underneath. And he said she could never find him. It was the perfect hiding place. And he would wait till she was on the other side of the house and he would come out after he'd been sitting there for what seemed like days and he would say, you couldn't find me. And he said it seemed like they would play all summer, but eventually he kind of got tired of his hiding place. I don't know if you've ever had that hiding place and hide and seek where it was just the best and you get in there and no one can find you and it seems lonely. It seemed like in our house that my daughter Annabelle had a spot like that in one of our closets for a while. She would just get up and it was in the, on a shelf and it was, she could just kind of get in there just perfectly. But Craddock said eventually he got so lonely and, and he really actually wanted to be found. And, and he tells a story that he kind of, and folks on this, he kind of he would stick his, his foot out just a little, right? Or, or he, he would just stick just a, a toe, just a little bit, or just a hand, just enough where his sister could find him. And eventually she found him. For me, this reminds us that we are relational beings created in the image of a fundamentally relational God. And even when we want to hide and we don't want to be found, there comes moments 
where we just stick our toe out just a little bit and we are so thankful that our sister finds us or our brother finds us or our neighbor finds us. In the book of Ephesians today, we, we read an interesting letter, and, and this book is an interesting book in the Bible. It's, it's interesting for a couple reasons. One is we're not really sure that Paul actually wrote it. Um, that's not entirely all that important, but it's intriguing to me because someone probably wrote the book and attributed it to Paul. There's a couple reasons that I think that might be true. One is that Paul had, um, he had a name and authority for folks in early Christendom, and, and people would have listened to him. The other is that specifically about what we're talking about today, um, about the circumcision and the uncircumcision. We read more about this in the book of Acts and the book of Galatians. Uh, Part of me wonders if maybe the early writers tied this to Paul so that it could be tied to the bigger story that was going on in the New Testament church. I don't know that to be true, but it makes sense to me. If you can find yourself within a bigger story, sometimes it's really helpful In the context of our letter today, um, there's a group of of Christians that are also Jewish Christians. They're they're known in uh, Acts as the Judaizers and Galatians as the Judaizers. And and one of the things that's fairly problematic for us is that the way that uh, folks are determined to be Christians or non-Christians is whether or not they're Jews or Gentiles, and in particular, that's tied to circumcision and uncircumcision. Right there, we, we divide a wall and, and take out a whole group of people where we're talking about men and not men and women, so that's fairly problematic. The other is that's this problematic for us today is that uh, sometimes when folks read this passage, um, we begin to talk about how there's a separation in Jews and Gentiles. And I want you to understand, I want us to understand that this is a specific context in a specific time. At this time, a group of people decided to draw a line between themselves because of circumcision and uncircumcision. This passage is never, in my opinion, to be read as an anti-Semitic passage. I just want to say that very clearly. Like, this is not a, an against Jews or an against our Jewish history passage. This is a passage that shows that at times people draw walls between themselves or draws lines of distinctions between themselves. And in the end of the passage or in the compendium of this passage, what Paul writes is that Christ makes us one in Christ's self. Christ makes us one through Christ's love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that the Pauline question of whether circumcision is a condition of justification or a condition of being a part of Christ seems to be the, in a present-day term to be whether or not religion is a necessary condition for salvation. In our context, instead of Jew or Gentile, right now we might say neither right nor left, orthodox or progressive, mainline or evangelical, WCA or RMN, Democrat or Republican. See, because we can fall into the habitual battles, dreaming of, the, of a day when our side is finally triumphant, But the text dreams of another day. It says that Christ has already made both groups into one, putting to death the hostility that divides us. There is not an outside or an inside. Christ's love is for all. Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, deconstructed 
the dividing walls in our lives. It is like there are little pieces of walls that we are trying to stack back together between ourselves and others. The reason that this letter is important for us today is because at times we hurt each other. At times we are hurt by one another and very futilely, but very um, much a part of what we do each day, we try to put little walls back together. Walls that divide us. I mean, how many of us have been hurt by family members? How many of us have hurt family members? How many of us have been hurt by our neighbors or hurt our neighbors? How many of us have felt the sting like Anne talked about of the blackberry bush in our daily lives? And then we very much try to put up small little walls like Paul talks about or the writer talks about in this letter We put up walls that separate us from our neighbors, walls of disagreement, walls of difference, walls of misunderstanding, walls that make us feel better about ourselves while we are hurting others, walls that make us think the division is okay and we forget that Christ has once and for all torn down the dividing walls. In her book, uh, Becoming Black, the anthropologist Michelle Wright writes this, every other, others, another, other. That's a a tongue twister, right? Every other, others, another, other. What she posits in her book is that we as people at times seek to other someone that is different than us, someone that maybe doesn't look like us or believe like us or think like us. And what she doesn't go to, but what I think our letter goes to today, is that Christ calls us as relational beings to bring peace in our world as we seek together to bring each other together. One of the things that I keep uh, in my office is a little piece of the Berlin Wall. I uh, was not born when the Berlin Wall was was put together, but I was alive when it came down. And about 15 years ago, I got to visit uh, Berlin. And I felt like a tourist, and I was a tourist because I bought a little piece of wall and a little thing, and I brought it home with me. But as I've reflected upon uh, that piece of the wall, and the reason that I continue to keep it in my office is because it helps me remember that there are ways each and every day that I draw lines in the sand. There are ways that I build walls, even though I don't want to necessarily, that I hope to be someone that brings peace, but sometimes I hurt others. I leave the piece of wall in my office because it reminds me that each day we have an opportunity to choose what kind of world we're going to try to create with God. Is it a world that brings peace and hope or a world that brings division and hurt? This helps me remember that our first identity is that we are God's beloved. When God created the world, God said that was good. But when God created us, when God created infants like Silas, God looked at us and said, man, that's very good. That's the best I could do. The world would be incomplete if it wasn't for each of you. God loves each of us 
each of us so much and desires for us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves and as God loves us. It is not some kind of abstract idea, but an active way of living in the world where we treat and love others as God loves us. We are, in our identity, beautifully made creatures of God. Yes, we fall. Yes, we hurt others. I'm not denying that. But we begin our story by being beautifully and created, wonderfully made beings. What do we forget when we forget that our identity is first and foremost to be a beloved child of God? More importantly, what do we forget when we forget that our neighbor's identity is to be a beloved child of God? Frederick Buechner says it this way, you can't really be a human all by yourself, of course. You need other people to talk to and to listen to, to share your secrets with and laugh until you're silly with. And when you really get to know someone, to even be able to sit silent together without embarrassment. That's what friends are all about. Bigner reminds us that we are not able to be humans all by ourselves. So what is this idea of relational peace and why a title like this? See, I, I think that um, this is a really big idea that takes effect and takes work at the local level. It's a really big idea that takes effect and takes work in our families, in our neighborhoods, with our friends and our coworkers. To seek peace with our neighbors and our families may feel a little uncomfortable at times, especially when we've had a disagreement or difficulty. It may feel a little uncomfortable to be courageous and reach out and say, how can I do this better? But relational peace the peace that we talk about and hear about in Ephesians, the peace that we hope to be here as central in the middle of our city is a peace that calls us to reach out and love our neighbors. It may be really simple, a simple thing, and it may seem very small, but it is an incredibly important step to simply reach out. Maybe it's getting to know the neighbor that lives right next door to you. Maybe it is getting to know a coworker that sits beside you in a cubicle. Maybe it's getting to know someone at camp if you're a student. And simply listening. In our scriptures and in our story, we have one of the greatest examples of this, and that is the table. As we uh, have been thinking a lot about in the United Methodist Church this year, what the general conference will mean next year, one of the things that I keep coming back to over and over again is why can we not sit around a table with people that are different than us? It seems to me that Christ has created a table that is for all people, and it seems to me that when I sit around table with somebody, even if I'm mad at them, it's hard not to pass the mashed potatoes and still be too mad. Right? It's hard to have a piece of pizza with somebody and not begin talking. One of the things I wonder about in our lives is what would it look like for us to create tables with our neighbors to bring peace? I mean, how many of y'all eat? <laughs> right? How many this coming Friday are probably going to eat something? Probably after church you're going to eat something. I know I am. What would it look like this week for you to consider 
inviting the neighbors that live next door to you to eat with you? What would it look like for you to consider inviting someone that you have had a really hard time with to eat a meal with you, to grab coffee with you? What would it, what would it look like in your context, where you live, in your specific context, for you to look at someone that is a little bit, that, that you would consider, and you would think, you know what, this person's not exactly like me, and I'm not like them, and we have differences, and we think differently, to say, could we eat together? While we were at the Wild Goose, uh, a good friend of ours that's become a good friend, a guy named Randy Evans, and Randy uh, lives in Wilmington, North Carolina, and runs a ministry called Walking Tall Wilmington, and it's about a year old, but for the last three to five years, he's been traveling up on Wednesdays and observing Haywood Street in order to learn about creating a relational uh, table ministry. And one of the things that Randy talked about uh, yesterday was, what would it look like? He asked the table that we were sitting at, it was a conversation table. He said, what would it look like if you went and got a, a couple pizzas and some drinks and maybe some salad and talked to some people this week and invited them to come eat with you at the local uh, park where, near where you live. I mean, it sounds so simple, right? Like to invite somebody to meet you at a park and grab some pizza together. But I know for me personally, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's not something that's easy for me to do. And sometimes I lack the courage. Robert Freire Capone says, we are given appetites not to consume the world and forget it, but to taste its goodness and hunger to make it great. He wrote this in a book about theology in the table. Not to consume the world and forget it, but to taste its goodness and hunger to make it great. This idea of relational peace is a big one. It's one that's going to take a lot of work, and it's going to take a lot of work from each of us. And I really do believe that each day we have an opportunity. We wake up in the morning, we have an opportunity to wonder out loud, are we going to be instruments of peace and mercy in this world, or are we going to hide under the steps and be just a little too scared to stick our toes out? I, I know that it is hard. Please, I'm, don't, I am not trying to minimize how hard it is to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. And with that said, I also know that we're each called to that. You all have a context that is unique to you. You know people in your lives that I don't know, and I know people in my life that you don't know. And it is Christ's call upon each of us kind of stick our toes out just a little bit, to stick those fingers out just a little bit and say, can you see me? I can see you. How might, how might we together create Christ's peace in the world? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. God, thank you so much for your word that challenges us and pushes us, a word that calls us to share your love in the world. May we be instruments of your peace and mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.